I used to do the Larry King program a lot. Not anymore, obviously. Larry's not on. But people would say to me, how do you prepare for that? Do you know what the questions are going to be? Do you know what the subject is going to be? And I would say, not really, but I don't care. They don't send me any advanced questions. They don't do any advanced interview. I just show up. I don't even know who else is going to be there. Might be a rabbi, a priest, or a confused evangelical. I never know who it's going to be. And so the question, the follow-up question is, well, how, how do you prepare for that? And, and I say, it's, it's very easy. I want to say two things. I want to say that the Bible is the only source of divine truth, and Jesus is the only Savior. I don't care what the questions are, those are going to be the answers. I said to Larry so many times, well, I don't know about that, but I do know Jesus is the only Savior and the Bible is the only authority. Welcome to the Doxa Dialogue, a podcast about living life on mission for the glory of God. My name is David Rudy. I'm the pastor of Doxa Church, your host and voice around the table. As usual, I have a couple of friends with me today. And one of these friends, you may not know. This is a brand new, first time member of the table. We welcome Darian Bright. How are you, Darian? Yeah, woo! Welcome, (laughs) welcome. The crowd goes wild. Yes, um, I'm doing really well. Yeah, so Darian, let me just introduce you. We also have Brother Steve here. You already heard his voice. Steve Moss, back, back with us. It's been a little too long since we've had you. Recovered from COVID. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yes, yes. And glad to be back. Absolutely. But Darian is going to be with us. This is excellent. Darian, you've been with our church from the very, very beginning. You, you have, we have seen you grow in our church. You, you serve pretty much everywhere in the church. <laughs> You're a girl in the church who disciples other women. And I'm just really excited to hear your voice on this topic today. I'm excited someone's excited to hear my voice, so that's fun. I'm glad to be here. Yes, thanks a lot. So in the opening there, I played a clip from John MacArthur, and he's a man who has preached the Bible faithfully for decades. He's human, so you don't have to agree with everything he's ever done or said. You know, I don't. But if there's anyone who has modeled the power of the authority of God's word, it's a pastor who preaches the word and then gets out of the way and watches the Holy Spirit change hearts. So where we're going with this topic today, believers in Jesus and unbelievers, people who don't know Jesus, they fundamentally view life differently. It's always been severe and stark, but today, as more and more people have rejected the authority of their creator, that difference is becoming more and more obvious. And at the root of that is a disagreement about authority. Your beliefs, convictions, and viewpoints all ultimately hinge on one of two presuppositions, either the authority of human wisdom or the authority of divine revelation. If it's not God speaking in one book, revealing ultimate truth about himself and the world he created, then you're going to go a lot of different directions. 
some worse than others, but nonetheless, your blueprint to make choices and seek truth is going to hinge on either fallible human yourself or a truth source that's outside of yourself. And what we're going to be talking about today is that the Word of God was breathed out by God. He moved in over 40 different authors, over 1,500 years. The Bible is its own best interpreter. The original autographs of Scripture were inerrant, without error. And the Bible is sufficient. We're going to be going through all of these terms. The Bible will not return void. It will accomplish everything it was intended to accomplish. And as we touch on all those things, at the heart of it all, the reason we're spending time discussing this is not because, quote-unquote, true believers don't already have confidence in the Word of God. You, you probably do. And the more you read the Bible and watch it move and shape you and see how it's alive, the more you're convinced of that. But the reason we are hammering this home in this episode is that this is the bedrock to our faith. And at the same time, it's under attack right now. We not only need to grow in our confidence, but we need to give a reason as to why we believe the Bible to those who don't believe the Bible. Share a reason for the hope that is in us. So many of the issues we're facing today and will be facing for the foreseeable future are going to come down to Jesus is the only answer. And we know that today because of his work in our hearts and his truth in God's word. So I'll go first, and let's begin by talking about inspiration. Does that sound good? Go. We'll just start right there. It's a big word, and it can even be a foggy conception for far too many people. We get this word from 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. You'll also see modern versions of the Bible translate this word breathed out, and that's literally what the original word, Greek word means. It's not inhaling. It's, it's like you're exhaling. The inspiration of God on the authors of Scripture was the Holy Spirit moving them and blowing them wherever he wanted to go. So I want to address some common misperceptions. And if you never receive any teaching on this, you can actually fall into some pretty pr problematic places, which is where people end up attacking Scripture. So first of all, the Bible wasn't written by man. A lot of times, have you all ever heard, have you all ever heard anybody say, oh, well, the Bible is just written by man, written by humans, it's, it's a book full of air. Have you have you heard this before? Well, it's like people will say it's not written by God. It's written by a bunch of different people all throughout history. And, you know, yep. then you're fighting the whole, well, how did they pick which letters? Because we're in Corinthians now as a church. Yeah. And we're talking about technically 1 Corinthians is the second letter. <laughs> and 2 Corinthians is the fourth letter. And right. Then right. you get into all of these technical things. Exactly. Yeah. So every author was, this is the way you look at it, every author was inspired by God. They were moved by God. And yeah, you're like you just mentioned, Darian, this is often the reason why people dismiss the Bible. Now, in one sense, the authors do write with their own personality. They use their own vocabulary. Uh, you know, even if you're a second semester Koine Greek student, 
you'll start noticing that. But the important thing to understand is that God directed the author's thoughts. That's the way to think through this. He moved in their minds to record exactly what he wanted them to record, and he ensured its accuracy. Not everything Paul and Peter and John and Luke wrote was inspired by God, right? Some of their letters are not in the canon. Uh, They wrote many of their letters, but the words of Scripture were breathed out by the Holy Spirit. So there have been a couple passages of Scripture that have always intrigued me where I'm going to make the case that you can see inspiration at work. Maybe you say, well, maybe he was just trying to make a point there and it's an issue of semantics, but I really think you can see inspiration going on in these in these verses. And maybe, Brother Steve, maybe you can tell me if I'm, if I'm totally missing the mark here on this or not. But uh, the first one is actually in 1 Corinthians. And you know a lot of these letters were, were dictated by Paul. Um, someone else like wrote them down as he spoke it out loud. But this one passage, I'll go ahead and just read one. This is in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is a quarrel among you, my brothers. What I mean is that each of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that no one may say that you were baptized in my name. So he says, I didn't baptize any of you except these two guys. And in the very next verse, it's like, oh, his memory's getting jogged. Because technically that verse was not 100% accurate, right? Very next verse, I did baptize also the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I don't know whether I baptized anyone else. So I would make the case the Holy Spirit is ensuring 100% accuracy as Paul is being moved along by the Holy Spirit. That's what I want us to think about when these authors were writing down Scripture. That's an example of it. Galatians 4, 8-9 is another passage very similar to this, where he says, Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not God's. But now that you have come to know God, and then he has a little correction here, or rather, to be known by God, which is a very slight nuanced thing there because I've, I've caught myself saying the same thing like, oh yeah, I, I found Jesus or I came to know God. I mean, okay, I can see why you would say that, right? We're not going to like crucify anybody for making that, that statement, but he clarified or rather to be known by God, putting it in the correct order. God was the one who sought him. God is the one who found him first. He was blind in his, in, in his sin. And, you know, finishing that passage up, to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of this world whose slaves you want to be once more? So when I'm talking to people about the Bible, and I even had this conversation just a couple of weeks ago, you need to look around at nature or the human body. And if you're looking at those things, if you're looking at nature, if you're looking at the human body, you will wake up and realize that there has to be an intelligent designer behind this. Why would the creator make this universe and then never reveal anything else about himself? I mean, that seems incredibly far-fetched that he would leave no clues or revelation about himself, right? So beyond the natural revelation, he has preserved his supernatural revelation. 
And there's no better way to record and preserve his will and his plan for the restoration of all things than through a written word. And it has been preserved. And this is something I don't know if we'll get very much into today, but if you really want to look into the the record of how God's Word has been preserved, how many manuscripts there are of God's Word in comparison to any other ancient document, it will just absolutely stun you at the difference. It's just it's just no contest. We should definitely do a podcast on the canon and yeah. how we got the Bible yes. that we have today. I agree. That should be a good follow-up one. We make mistakes. We change. God never changes. His Word never changes. And even though we can get it wrong in our life and we have to course correct, his revealed word is the absolute truth and it is our ultimate authority. of scripture i should probably define it a little bit there you go um i didn't necessarily have the cleanest definition of this so i just took wayne grudem's um definition of it that's a good place Um, to start for those who don't know who wayne grudem is he is a systematic theology professor at phoenix seminary Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um and he defines the sufficiency of scripture as Scripture is containing all the words of God that he intended his people to have at each stage of redemptive history, and that it now contains everything we need God to tell us for salvation, for trusting him perfectly, and obeying him perfectly. Hmm. Um, So essentially in that, Grudem is saying that at one point of history, the Torah was sufficient for his people. And so Mm -hmm. we talked a little bit about the canon again such an amazing thing for you to look into if you don't know how we got our Bible today. Mm-hmm. But pretty much as time went on, the canon grew. God continued to inspire people, mm-hmm. breathing out into them his word. And that's how we later get the Old Testament, right? So mm-hmm. the Torah was sufficient for the Jews at the history that they were in, the stage that they were in. Mm -hmm. Then as time went on and the canon grew and God inspired Moses and David and Solomon, we get our wisdom literature, Mm -hmm. the Psalms, the Proverbs, and then we get the prophets that go ahead and show us and give us the foresight to Jesus, right? Mm -hmm. And that's what his people needed, God's people needed at that stage in history. Yeah. So up until the point of our Messiah coming, we had what we needed as, or they had rather, mm-hmm. what they needed as God's people. So after the Messiah, we get the gospel, the epistles, our letters, and the revelation of John at the end of the book. At each stage in redemptive history, From Genesis to Revelation, it was sufficient for the stage of life that God's people were in. The doctrine of sufficiency does not imply that God cannot add any more words to that which was already spoken. So like I was saying, the Torah was sufficient for a time. The Old Testament was sufficient for a time. But Mm. now we have a complete canon. Now we have the full sufficiency of the Bible we have today. 
when you see in Revelation where, you know, the last book of the Bible, it's talking about do not add anything to this to this book, speaking of the speaking directly of the book of Revelation, but it's very fitting. Right. But that's also at the end of the entire yeah. Bible as last well. Book in the New Testament. Yeah. Right, yeah. right. The very last book, Ka- Revelation. Kind of puts the cap on it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Revel- it's pretty clear this is like, this is the end. Right. So Revelation 18 through 19, I testify that everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. Mm-hmm. Very intense. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then it says if anyone takes away... So it's not just adding to the book. It's also if you take away and you say, I accept this part of scripture, but you know that other part that we can toss away. Right. And we see that happening. Well, I can agree with this. Mm -hmm. You know, I can agree with let's not kill and let's not steal. Right. You know, but when it comes to my speech, I like to make a crude joke here and there. Yeah, you see that. You saw that all the way back with Thomas Jefferson from the very beginning of our country. And like, it's never really gone away. There's still there's still people like to cut and splice things out that they don't quite jive with. I've even heard somebody tell me, I had a conversation one time with a girl who was like, yeah, I'm a Christian right now, but only until I find a religion that suits me better. There's a lot of things in the in, in Christianity that I don't like. I had a nice conversation with her about how that's not really exactly how it works can't just cut out what we don't like right and i think the parable of the rich young ruler right Mm -hmm. so he's like lord lord you know i've i've followed all of your rules since i was a child you know so how Mm -hmm. do i get to the kingdom and he was like well sell all your things and come follow me and he was like left crying so he knew that he was passing up an amazing thing but he loved his riches more Mm-hmm. And so we see that a lot in people walking away from the faith is, but I love my sin more. <laughs> you can put another slant on that. You know, the, yeah. the other side of that coin is like, what does it profit a man to inherit the world, whole world and um, yet lose his soul? You can have the stuff, you can love the, the riches, but that will not lead to eternal life. Eternal life only comes through one man and the scriptures point the way. Amen. Because if we're mm-hmm. honest with ourselves, we do love our sin. Mm-hmm. It's just, do you love Jesus more to walk away from that? And I've seen too, like, I think especially right now, when you, when the rubber meets the road and we're really talking about this topic where, okay, what, what kind of things are, are Christians like not agreeing with? They, a lot of the, the common thing now, and it really usually begins this way is, is not to just be like, oh, the Bible's wrong. It's usually to twist scripture and make scripture say, what you want it to say. So there's always a way. Yeah. Do some maneuvering, some awkward uh, stretching here and there to get a passage to say. And then you're like, I'm still good with Jesus, but you're not actually taking what he said at face value. Yeah. Selective scripture without the full context and the whole counsel of God. Yeah. And you can justify anything. So the sufficiency of scripture should really encourage us, right? It's there to help guide us and it's to help us in our walk. Right. So we do have the Holy Spirit, which is great. But there's a lot of people who will say, oh, I heard this, this thing. The Holy Spirit revealed to me this. And then you're like, but that's contradictory to God's word. Mm -hmm. You know, if it was a true revelation, it might align with God in what he says. 
As we read the Bible, we discover what God would have us do in specific circumstances, how we should address certain things, um, how we should even think about certain topics. Um, our primary source of theology is the Bible and, and what we learn from God's revelation of himself to us through the Bible. So theology can be this big word, very intimidating to Christians. I'm not going to lie. It was one of those really big intimidating words to me. Mm -hmm. But it literally just means to study God. And as a Christian, that's the basis of our, our walk, to grow in our knowledge of the Lord. So in preparing for this podcast, I realized like, most people, <laughs> I probably overthink things way too much. <laughs> and so in learning about the sufficiency of scripture, it sounded like this big, overwhelming, kind of glooming topic, like how am I going to climb this mountain, Lord? <laughs> and I realized it really isn't. It just simply means that the Bible is sufficient. It's enough. It is, it is enough to mm -hmm. guide and direct us in our daily lives. Mm -hmm. Right, so the Bible tells us how to be good neighbors by loving your neighbor as yourself. By the Bible, we can see how we should evangelize, mm -hmm. right? Making disciples of all the nations, having no, I prefer this person or I prefer that person. And yeah. it's easy for people to gravitate towards like-minded people. Mm -hmm. But Jesus went to the least of these. And so we should as well... You know, you talked about how, like, when we read the Bible, we're growing in our knowledge of God. The important thing about growing in the knowledge of God is not just to end it there, right? We can't just, like, gain knowledge and, all right, the Bible is sufficient. I'm just getting all the Bible I can and then not do anything with that because that just produces a bigger and bigger head and pride puffs up. And the key is, like, to what you said, to get out there and, and share that with, with other people. You're, you're evangelizing. But if we're actually putting it into practice and we're actually in a relationship with God where it's, this isn't just like a one-way one way stream, but like I'm talking to God, I'm listening to him as I read the word, when we grow in our knowledge of him, we will also grow in our love for him. And that's the beautiful thing about God, our Heavenly Father, is the more we see him in Scripture, the more we see how much he loved us, and the more we see how much he loved us, we respond in love. We love him because he first loved us. And so the more we see him, the more we love him. The more we love him, the more we love others. And then, and then the Bible turns into this inspiration and this motivator and this catalyst that moves us forward in our faith. But it, it all goes back to, is the Bible sufficient or do we think, listening to this podcast or reading a book or, you know, going to church on Sunday? Like, do we put all these other other things in the bag or do we just realize, hey, you know, at the end of the day, God revealing the truth about who he is and what he wants me to do in my life and, and how he's empowered me to do that is enough. It is sufficient. So, David, I hear that you said God's word is inspired to inspire his people. <laughs> <laughs> yes. The Bible especially tells us how we can find our salvation, and mm -hmm. that is so, so important. It tells us that by grace, through faith, in Christ alone. I mean, that's the creme de la creme. That is sufficient. There you that go. That is sufficient. 
the Bible also deals in principles. So mm-hmm. the love of money is the root of all evil. Those who are faithful in much, they are given much. To those who are faithful in little, they are given little. Yeah, and when you layer all these different principles on top of each other, we really get a crystal clear picture. You know, you stop and think, okay, I should be loving my neighbor. All right, I should be worshiping God above all else. All right, I should be doing everything in my life to bring glory to God. Um, Even rest, like all all these things. You start just layering principle upon principle upon principle. That's where you get the Bible's, the Bible is sufficient, right? It, It gives us all we really need to know. There, there isn't really any decision. And if you're ever having a decision, we're like, I don't know what to do. Like, pray about it. Ask the Holy Spirit to lead you. You know what I mean? Because he, maybe he's left a little, a little like room for your conscience, like you know, in in that specific area. But yeah, that's good. This is good stuff, Darren. That's all I got, folks. Oh wow, that was all you had. Okay, I didn't mean it. I thought you were still going. It's all good. That I was keep great. Going, David. I have so many examples. <laughs> No. Well, they might be a little antiquated. Like one of them was like downloading music illegally, <laughs> where it's like, let's not steal. We're right. subject to our governing authorities, right? The there FBI warning is there for a reason, <laughs> folks. Yes. Um, so oh, that's well. right, kids. Don't burn those VHS tapes. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, though. That was great, Darian. idea of inspiration of biblical scripture and Darian for giving us that colorful covering of the sufficiency of scripture. Absolutely. Pretty awesome stuff. Okay, so I'm going to be talking a little bit about the concepts of inerrancy of scripture and infallibility of scripture. And so in doing that, I'll probably touch a bit on what David said and and Darian's subject areas. Um, You know, if I had to test my own heart, I, I guess I have no problem thinking of God as being infallible and inerrant. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what I believe. And I guess the big question here, though, is Scripture also infallible and inerrant? And um, it's important that we, we answer this question, and David has kind of alluded to some of the reasons, and so has Darian. But really, as a Christian, we need a framework for weighing our faith in terms of accuracy and authenticity. How do we know? Is it our culture? Mm. Is it, um, you know, just the 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 thing of the day that we're following? Or is there a pattern which God has given and um, special revelation which shows us what the plan of God is? So, You know, Steve, yeah, this is, I love that you're going here because if we were just following any other standard out there, like you could just take what it, what was on TV, what was popular, what was the thing to say five years ago, and now half of those things you really can't say that anymore. Like this, the, that that line is always constantly shifting of like what's appropriate, what's what's okay, what's not okay. Yeah. And like if you're following anything out there that's not the authoritative word of God, you're gonna you're gonna deal with that. Like yeah. this shifting sand, it's always if always it, murky. If it's not objective truth, it's subjective truth. Everything essentially becomes relativism. Okay. Yeah. All right, so I'm an engineer, so I like to look at things in a methodical kind of way. Yes. Um, and so I think we probably need to ask at least the following three questions. Um, what do we mean by the inerrancy of Scripture? 
What do we mean by the infallibility of Scripture? And then for those to kind of be um, valid once I've defined them, we also got to kind of answer the question, who got to decide what constitutes pure inspired Scripture in the Old Testament and New Testament? Um, how does this impact our ability to trust the Scripture as both inerrant and infallible? Mm. So this subject is huge. I mean, there is no way that we're going to cover all the, <laughs> the bases um, in the time that we have tonight um, and squeeze it into you know, half an hour or even 40 minutes. Um, but what we're going to do, or what I'm going to try and do, is add to what David and Darren have shared to give us some handles, um, you know, like the 30,000-foot overview. Um, what are things we can consider, um, use um, to consider that um, these are really important and fundamental ideas concerning um, how we walk out our faith and how we align um, with what is the revealed will of God. Mm-hmm. What we'll not be covering is how to read scripture in context or how to consider the whole counsel of God on a topic based on all the scriptures. So, you know, I often <laughs> use the silly example um, of how not to read scripture. Matthew 27, 5 says, Judas went away and hanged himself. And, you know, if you had quickly opened the Bible and by some random fluke, you open up <laughs> Luke 10, 37, and it'll say, go and do thou likewise, you know. So, <laughs> so that's not what we mean by infallible in trouble, and inerrant. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So, so what do we mean? Okay. Um, so the first one I'll look at is what do we mean by inerrancy? So biblical inerrancy is a belief that the Bible is without error or fault in its teaching, or at least that the scripture in the original manuscripts do not affirm anything that is contrary to truth. Okay. Mm. Um, so we can be sure if we believe in the inerrancy of scripture that there are accurate records of what took place. Inerrancy doesn't mean that there might not be apparent contradictions in the text, but it does mean that all of these can be resolved if you weigh the full counsel of Scripture. So a verse which has been quoted already by David, and I think it bears repeating, (laughs) 2 Timothy 3.16, every Scripture is inspired by God and is useful for teaching, reproof, and correction, for training in righteousness, that a person dedicated to God may be capable and equipped for every good work. So that's an example of um, scripture um, saying that the very inspired words are inerrant, if you actually think about it. That's a summary um, statement. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll get to why we can believe this particular passage um, in a little while. Um, the Bible is also very specific about some subjects, and we've touched on some of them. You know, Some of them cover sexuality, marriage, um, purity, um, worship, but it's silent on others. For example, you know, the Bible doesn't tell us whether we can get vaccinated for COVID or not. <laughs> yes. So um, what do we mean by infallibility? So the concept of infallibility is not really related to errors, but it's the idea of the impossibility of failure. In other words, if God said it, it's going to happen. Mm. So biblical infallibility is the belief that the Bible, what the Bible says regarding matters of faith and Christian practice is wholly useful and true. It is the belief that the Bible is completely trustworthy as a guide to salvation and for the life of faith. And it will not fail to accomplish its purpose. God's plan for salvation for the fallen sons of Adam um, through faith in Jesus Christ is what the Bible is all about. Mm-hmm. There's definitely a prophetic edge to of foretelling and the whole idea of infallibility in, in that the Bible often speaks about things that will come to pass 
and and we could think of infallibility as you know if God has said that Jesus is coming again, we can be absolutely sure that Jesus is coming again. It's infallible in that sense. So it is connected to the whole idea of the faith that we express, the beliefs that we have, the hopes that we have, and the love that is stirred up in us as um, we look at what the Word says. Now, Isaiah 55, 11 says this, My word that goes forth from my mouth, it shall not return to me void, but it will accomplish what I please, and it will prosper in the thing for which I've sent it. So mm. in a sense, that, that gives you a picture of um, infallibility. If God said it, he knows it's going to accomplish what he sent it for. So when we talk about the inspiration of Scripture, um, and Darian alluded to this, like how do we get to decide what is inspired Scripture and not inspired Scripture? So David talked a bit about the, the mechanics of what goes into the actual generation of um, Scripture that can be considered inspired. Um, but for instance, the 2 Timothy 3.16 verse that says every scripture is inspired by God. Who got to decide what is inspired? And it's the million dollar question. Mm-hmm. And so, um, for instance, how was it decided that this particular passage is entirely inspired versus containing only partial inspiration or even constitutes possibly a heresy or a perversion of the truth? So to do that, we need to go back a little bit into some of the traditions of how um, the Old Testament was put together and the New Testament. Mm. And so I'll start with the Old Testament. That's the oldest record, and it's probably the easiest one to show that it has been consistent over literally thousands of years. Mm-hmm. So the Protestant Old Testament, because that's the kind of flow of Christianity that we belong to, contains 39 books, which are divided roughly into Five sections, the law, history, wisdom, sometimes known as poetry, the major prophets, and the minor prophets. And essentially, the Protestant Old Testament contains all the same information as the Jewish Tanakh. Differences from the Jewish Tanakh are in the canonical order. I almost want to (laughs) fumble over my words, yeah? (laughs) And, And that some books are combined. For instance, 1 and 2 Samuel are one book, and one and two kings are one book, and one and two chronicles are single books. Hmm. And all the minor prophets are grouped together in the book of 12, you know, in the latter prophets. So the Jewish Tanakh actually has an outline, the books of Moses, the former prophets, the latter prophets, and then the writings. But essentially, it's the same information that's contained. If you look at the Orthodox Church, the canon of the Old Testament contains 53 books, and the Catholic Bible has 46. So some of, some of the different... Um, expressions of Christianity do have some books that are different from the Old Testament that we as um, as Protestants believe in. So why do I share this? I, I do want you to be aware of these different traditions that are out there. Um, but the process on how the guys um, got together and decided which which books actually belong to um, the Old Testament is very similar. One thing I can say is that all the traditions contain the five books of Moses, sometimes referred to as the Torah and the law. Mm. And you'll even see in the Jewish traditions that um, some of the guys, like the Sadducees, you know, they stuck to the first five books. The Pharisees accepted um, the whole of the Old Testament. So mm-hmm. that gives you a feel for um, how the Old Testament came together. The New Testament is a lot more interesting. The canon of New Testament is a set of books that many Christians, myself included and this panel included, um, regard as divinely inspired, as David explained. And they constitute the New Testament of the Christian Bible. And it's a list of 27 books that include the canonical Gospels, 
acts, letters attributed to the various apostles, apostles, <laughs> almost <laughs> said impossibles, <laughs> and revelation. And so the books of the canon of the New Testament were written generally before 120 AD. So they date right back to the living memory of people that were witnesses to the time of Jesus and the time of the apostles. Mm. So the word canon, the Latin word canon spelled with a K, and it, it just really means a measuring reed. Um, so mm -hmm. um, eventually um, the meaning developed into standard. So pertaining to the New Testament, the term refers to those books that the church has accepted as the standard that govern Christian belief and conduct. So you might ask the question, well, why is it necessary to have a canon of Scripture? And yeah. so I'm going to give you a couple of reasons. When, when the apostles were alive and operating in the first century, there was no real great need for a canon to be defined. I mean, these were living witnesses of what Jesus had done, the church had been established. They were the flesh and blood that said, we've seen with our eyes, we've touched with our hands, you know? Yeah. Um, and these apostles had been divinely appointed by Jesus um, and ordained, and they themselves had the authority that the Lord Jesus had given them. So the apostles, in a sense, got the church off the ground in a manner of speaking, and they were God's authority on the earth um, up to the, um, between the time of the Lord's ascension and the completion of the New Testament scriptures. But what happened is some of these apostles started to pass away, you know, um, and some of their immediate disciples were still alive. And so people could still easily determine what constituted apostolic teaching and certain developments like the rise in heresies. Some of you might have heard of the Gnostic Gospels, mm -hmm. uh, the Gospel of Mary Magdalene and Philip, etc. Um, right. So there, there became this need, like, these guys are passing away. How are we going to know which scriptures actually constitute the original Gospels as um, taught in the time of Jesus and the apostles? Yeah. And so that brings us to this basic criterion, which David actually touched on, is that scripture... Um, in the New Testament is considered God-breathed. Um, and here's the point. The books do not become inspired because they are recognized as being canonical. They are actually recognized as being canonical because they are inspired by God. So how, how do you know? Um, the church didn't produce these books. There are three basic principles and criteria that um, emerged in the early church that were used to recognize the books that have been selected and recognized as God-inspired. Okay. The first is apostolic origin. Origin. So in the church, the, the, the local knowledge um, knew what the oral tradition of the church was. They knew which um, books actually aligned with that teaching and who had written the letters, for instance, Paul's letters or um, Peter. And so there was a, a recognition by the church that these constitute accurate records of the teachings and the sayings and the ways of, um, of Christ and, and mm -hmm. the early church. Mm -hmm. And then um, sometimes these books were authored not by the apostles directly, but they were approved by the apostles. Mm -hmm. um, so the apostolic content in the teaching was verified and, and measured against um, the oral tradition. So yeah. basically, we have a subset of books. There may be other books out there that contain some truth, but the subset that we have that we recognize as the New Testament Scripture are complete in that they have been verified as accurate with the oral tradition of the time. Mm. They were weighed by the churches that were um, operating at that time. And um, they were recognized 
as the, the New Testament canon. So mm-hmm. these councils that took place took place actually many different times um, through history, and it would be a really interesting study to go through and, and mm-hmm. look at all the councils all the way up to the Protestant church. And, um, and so it's important to understand that these books were not authored specifically because we wanted a New Testament. Mm-hmm. They are an accurate record of what the apostles taught, what the sayings of Jesus were, and how the early believers um, lived their lives. Yeah, and it's this is good. I mean, we could spend, like you said, we could spend a lot of time on this, and if you have more questions, this is one of those things, like, hey, if you have more questions about this, please let us know. We'd love to talk further about this. But the letters that are in the New Testament were universally accepted mm. by the church. Yeah. In, in real time, you know, all, all of, it wasn't like, hey, they got together yeah. 300 years later and just threw everything together. Like, no, they already, they were already recognizing all of these. Yeah. And there were some, you know, like you've already mentioned, the Gospel of Thomas, Gospel of Philip, like there's these Gnostic Gospels that when you compare the two, mm. you can just, you know, it's like Jesus is doing weird things as a kid, healing people. <laughs> like, there's just all kinds of stuff. It's just obvious. It's It's really clearly clearly different um and i don't want to go too too much further down that rabbit trail as all i want to say is like we could have extended conversation on this but you've really you've really hit it with a very broad brushstroke it's it's important to realize and yeah who was the last apostle it was it was john the author of revelation so that ended it right there you know john the one that Jesus loved. Yeah, yes. the disciple that Jesus loved. Yes. Yeah. So it's an interesting thing is, um, I don't know if you guys have experienced this, but have you ever heard something you know that is quoted from something that's just outside of Scripture and it kind of sounds right, but there's always a check in your spirit? Uh-huh. And I've experienced this many times. So, sometimes people teaching from Scripture, but they put a really weird slant on it, or actually quoting something that's not in the recognized canon of Scripture. And so we also have the Holy Spirit who helps us recognize, you know, what these things are. Yeah. Um, the challenge, though, is, of course, like, how would you debate that? How would you decide? And so this is the reason that the written scriptures are really important. They are a framework that do help us. And so I put together um, a few takeaways um, that maybe we could summarize. Well, I do like what you said there, there's things that people say. So there's all these Christian sayings or Christianese sayings uh-huh. that go around like, God is not going to give you more than you can handle. <laughs> but it's actually that God is going to be there to complete. Because in your weakness, he is made whole. Mm-hmm. And he's there to bear that with you. And he's mm-hmm. not going to forsake you or leave you. Um, what you stirred in my memory, Steve, was... There was something that was going viral on Facebook, and it was this big female movement, like Christian female movement, where it was um, men have to go to the mountain, but God meets us where we're at as women in the Hmm. day-to-day mundane things, in the diaper changing, in the cooking dinners, in the washing dishes. And that's true, right? God meets us in those mundane things. What was the weird pang in your spirit that's like something's real off here though right like something's a little off and it's the men have to go to the mountain and it's like where did you get that right like yeah. moses went to the mountain <laughs> jesus right. went to the mountain yeah you know but yeah. not all men throughout the entire canon of scripture 
mm-hmm. went to the mountain to be connected with God, right? Right. So it's that one little weird thing that right. it doesn't quite hit the mark. There's something off, but mm. the rest of it makes sense. But you really have to, and yeah. especially, like, I just want to encourage the women out there. Like, we need to be in our Bible because, mm-hmm. man, that post went viral. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, yeah. there's a little thing that was off, which I don't yeah. disagree with the full thing that went on on Facebook with it, but it was, mm-hmm. this is why it's so important that we're not only in the word, but that we know the word and that we're w- like yeah, daily convening mm-hmm. with God, um, that we're not just growing in our knowledge, like our head knowledge. Yeah, We talked about this in our life group, Steve, um, but growing in our heart knowledge of the Lord, right? So that we as women can help lead the other women in our church mm-hmm. when stuff like this comes up. Yep. The more you know the word, you'll be able to recognize that and that in mm. that those little things that are slightly off. Yeah. The Holy Spirit will, will, will reveal he it always to reveals you. Him. Yeah. Him, and I talked about that in the sermon on Sunday with, mm. you know, the quote about my religion, my philosophy, my religion is just kindness. You know, <laughs> like in simplicity, like yeah, we there's part of us that resonates with kindness and simplicity. Mm. But whenever you have that feeling of, ooh, uh, I'm not quite sure. It's it's usually it's because it's partial truth mixed with air. But we're we'll 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 hand it back over to you, Steve. Okay. Keep keep rolling. So here. so I'm I'm gonna give like four takeaways, and David will choose whether we'll put these in or not. Um, <laughs> so so the first one is inspired scripture in the canon of the Old Testament and New Testament is sufficient information to point us to who God is, who we are why we need God because of our sin nature, and what is the only way to eternal life with God. It also introduces us to the idea of two kingdoms, one of darkness that leads to eternal hell apart from God, and one of light that leads to eternal light, life with God. Mm-hmm. So this is why the scripture is important. Second point, God is the only one who ultimately guides the selection and finalization of what is holy scripture. Um, we've talked a little bit about the process I want to point out it's fixed. There's nothing being added at this time. It does not change until the second coming of Christ. It is not altered or adapted, as is the practice like Jehovah Witnesses. Mm-hmm. It's not added to with additional revelation like the Mormon church has done. It is complete. It stands for the purposes of salvation and God's plans for mankind to be redeemed and saved. Mm-hmm. So the third point I'd, I'd probably make is that I believe there is an element of faith in leading from the Holy Spirit, necessary to accept the scriptures as God breathed. And God has the power and ability to preserve scripture as he intended it to be revealed. And so we can trust him for that. A cautionary note from my side. We should not venerate scripture above God himself. The scripture itself is not God. It originates with God. It points to God and a special revelation on the ways and the plans of God. You know, Jesus said to the Pharisees, they were guilty of saying they've got life in the scriptures and Moses. Mm-hmm. But... Think of it this way. Scripture is like a railway track that saves us from being deceived and derailed from the truth if we use it as a check or a pattern for Christian faith and practice. Absolutely. And, you know, it's it's so true when you say that point about, you know, Scripture isn't equal with God, right? Because we don't worship Scripture. And I think, just think about the fact that we don't have any of the original manuscripts left. We just have copies of the original manuscripts. And the copies that we have, they all have human error in them. 
But there's so many of these copies of all these manuscripts that we can see like, oh, okay, well, there's 5,000 manuscripts that say this. And then there's like, oh, 25 over here that like add this extra little word or this comma. You know, and it's really easy to see where the human error was when we have an overwhelming evidence of, of the number, the sheer number of manuscripts. But I say all that to say, if we had the original inerrant copy, no, the original autograph, knowing man, we would probably worship that. You know what I mean? Like we'd be like, right. like we would, we would just have it somewhere and we would be all about that. So God has revealed his word. He has preserved his word. And yes, we don't worship the Bible, but we also know that it is a gift that God has preserved for us. And it's an accurate reflection of who he is. Yep. So. God's love letter to mankind. Absolutely. <laughs> and I do appreciate, like, we don't elevate the Bible. We don't elevate Scripture, right? Because we we said Scripture throughout this podcast. We said Word of God. Mm-hmm. We've said Bible. But the Word of God can be three things, right? The actual words of God. So he spoke directly to Adam in mm-hmm. the garden. Direct words from God. Then you have quotes of God and what he said. So thus saith the Lord. Mm -hmm. Um, And then you have the word of God, Jesus, right? Mm -hmm. So Jesus, the word of God, we Mm -hmm. do elevate above the Bible. And that's that's something I want to leave with the listeners here because it's important. That's something I learned and I was like, that's good. It's really good to know the the differences there. That's a really good way to end it. Just highlighting Jesus Christ. Yeah, we could almost quote John's gospel, starting with, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Nothing was made without Him, and everything that was made was made through Him. Amen. Thanks once again for listening. We really enjoy doing this. We really enjoy hearing your feedback. Please give us a review if you have not done that already, and please share this episode. Uh, maybe maybe it's a friend, maybe it's a family member. Maybe you just want to get the word out about the Doxa Dialogue. The more you share this, the more impact and influence this will have. So thanks for allowing us to be a part of your life. We look forward to doing this again. You are loved. <laughs>